You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Adriana, I was born in Oregon, but we traveled a lot with my family. My dad was in construction, but he was an alcoholic, and my mom, she was in our lives, but she was also in and out of jail. It was really hard on us. We kind of grew up on our own. We had my brothers and my sisters. Uh, We took care of each other, but didn't really know how still. (laughs) With my parents not being there all the time, we just got into trouble a lot. Some stuff happened to me as a young girl, and I went to counseling for it, and they always told me that it was the reason or the cause of my behavior for acting out when I was in high school. I was very, living very promiscuously, and it was just acting out in rebellion. I felt like I was alone, even though I had my brothers and sisters, just like I didn't have a real father. Um, so I went other things, like partying and drugs and boys and all that stuff. Um, and I ended up getting pregnant. Uh, I was 17 when I got pregnant, and just completely changed my life. My brothers, actually, and my sisters, they started to go to church. We always grew up knowing that there was a God, and we always claimed that we were Christians. Just We just always had that, but really didn't act or have a relationship. So they started going to church, and I wasn't yet. I went a couple times, but I was young, and I was still in high school, and I dropped out um, because I wanted to finish. I wanted to get my diploma sooner, so I dropped out and went to like a charter school and just got that. So I thought I was going to get my life together already, but took longer than expected. I was still unhappy and just didn't like Janessa's dad, honestly. It's kind of just stuck and so caused us to separate, um, but in an unhealthy way because I went back to my old ways and acting promiscuous and just not caring. And so it caused me to lose Janessa. It was about five-year custody battle with Janessa's dad and just a lot of back and forth with her. Uh, there was times when I just didn't even know who I was and that kind of broke me and then made me really look at how I was living and what I needed to do to change or if I could for her sake. So I started to go to church more with my family because they were all in it and just I always felt like every time I went to church it felt good and just being around my brothers and my sisters was like wow this is what you guys are doing now so I guess it's my turn. (laughs) So I did that and then during that time the custody battle uh, just started to get really tough. So I met someone and I ended up getting engaged because it looked good on paper (laughs) and we got married. Um, My ex-husband was 10 years older than me and so he had he wined and dined me basically um, I was young and naive. I was going through custody with Janessa's dad, and so our relationship was based on manipulation. Yeah, just just wanted to be taken care of, I guess. At the time was when I started really getting closer to the Lord because I felt like I was losing everything and everyone in my life. I was just losing everybody. Um, I wasn't at my breaking point yet, but it felt pretty close. Um, But I always kept that hope I always had hope that things were going to get better. I didn't know how or when, but just always felt things were going to be okay. A lot of people in my life were telling me that I was going to lose my daughter. I didn't even know how to think 
of, okay, there's still a chance that you can lose it. I didn't know how to think like that because my hope, I just always thought it wasn't gonna be like that. But then we got a divorce, it didn't work out. I was lost my husband and now I'm about to lose my daughter. So I, one day for service, um, I went to altar call because uh, the service was about surrendering yourself, really giving yourself to the Lord. Um, and I've never done that. So when I went up to altar call, I just fell to my knees and just wrapped in his presence and his comfort and just really gave myself, surrendered my life to him because I needed to stop taking control because I couldn't do it, obviously. After that, I would, that was when I was like, thank you, Jesus. I was like, wow. You're, I was just so in awe of what he was capable of and just, I was just, wow. <laughs> Going through everything I went through as a child and just growing up, I always felt like it was, things were gonna change and things would always get better. Like I was always hopeful in that sense, regardless how bad it was. But when I ran up there for altar call, was when I was like, okay, because my hope is not enough and I really needed to surrender. So eventually, I did get my daughter back. Uh, she, I got full custody. Even though I lost my ex-husband, I, I got full custody and my relationship with the Lord was strong. Faith grew and grew and still is. Like I was always hopeful and it wasn't enough. Um, but hope in Jesus was, was more than I can imagine. Well, it was really neat because Adriana, uh, last service, just got baptized. Made that public profession of faith. Just got dunked right in there. And uh, this was just really cool. Um, Caitlin, great to see you back from Argentina and your international uh, travels. And uh, good to see you back. Hey, if you got your Bible, will you open up to Matthew chapter 5? Uh, we looked last week at Matthew chapter 5, 3. This is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is one of his most famous sermons where he basically says, I want to give you eight ways to be happy. I want to give you eight ways that your life could be blessed, and the word blessed means happy, that you make them. But Jesus, as he often does, it says that his path to happiness might differ a little bit uh, than ours. But the first choice we looked at last week was the reality choice, that blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The only way you and I will get to heaven is if we humbly submit ourselves under God's work on the cross. And it's only through Christ that we get to heaven. So we're, we are poor in spirit. We allow ourselves to just be in reality that, God, you're the only way uh, to heaven. And so let's, uh, we memorized that verse this week, many of us, and so it'll be on the screen, but let's read that verse together. It's Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in, everybody, all right, let's try it again. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well done. And we realize that the reality choice is this. I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing. We can agree to that, right? I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing, and my life is unmanageable. That's that first point where we admit that I am not God, that I need God in my life, that he is able to do more than we can ask or imagine. But it's tough to admit that, isn't it? I mean, sometimes it's a lot like going to the dentist. Uh, by the way, I have two dentists. They're married to one another, and they attend our church, and they're phenomenal uh, dentists. But regardless, any dentist I've ever had in my whole life, going to the dentist is a little bit weird. And uh, you kind of walk in, and there's that whole tray they have like, laid out for you with all the torture instruments on it. You know the one I'm talking about? It's almost like they're on display. Like, hey, just want to let you know, we might not use all these 
but just in case we might manipulate your mouth with a few of these, you know, here today. And so they like, it's like they put, they should hide them like in the cabinet or something, let you sit down, just bring out whatever they need while your eyes are closed, right? But no, they kind of like have them out there on display. And then, you know, you sit down and uh, the way that they make you feel better is they make you feel worse before they make you feel better. Because uh, the way they make you feel better is they stick a big needle in your mouth so that you don't feel much pain. Seems like that's a little opposite, right? You know, give me some gas or something. I don't know, whatever, you know, just knock me out. But, but you go in the dentist and you typically are thinking, let's just get through this as quickly as possible. And then the dentist starts talking to you, right? And they can like understand what you're saying. Like they start talking to you and, you, and I'm a conversationalist. I hate at the dentist that I can't talk back because my mind is thinking we're in conversation, right? I'm like, I'm thinking of something to say, you know, got this thing in my mouth and it's going and I can't, you know, by the way, that's like the worst sound for some of you people, right? That if I just did that indefinitely, you'd be like, please, anything, ocean waves or some other sound other than the suction device, right? So you go to the dentist, I had to go to the dentist this week and, and you typically get in there and you think, man, just give me, you know, I love you guys and all, but just let me get through this experience as quickly as possible. And I have a feeling that sometimes as we start talking about these things over the next number of weeks, some of us in the room are like, okay, I get it, but this pokes me a little bit. This causes a little pain. And if we could just get through this as quickly as possible, that would be great. But I want to give you a different picture here today that really it's the picture of going through the Life Healing Choices series is more like uh, getting released from a prison cell that my hurts, my habits, and my hangups, they are the things that trap me, that keep me from being the man that, that God knows and I know I should be, that those things hinder me, that they at times paralyze me, that, that I go to those things maybe for comfort and they don't satisfy, but that those things are like a prison cell. And as we begin to understand and we begin to walk through these life's healing choices, we realize that our life right now, the condition we're in, we feel locked up. We feel like the door has been slammed. We feel like I can't get out. And I want to just give you this picture that going through life's healing choices, doing the hard work now, has benefit later. That it's like opening the door and all of a sudden we, the, the shackles are off. The door is open. We step out without the things that used to bind and control us. The chains are broken. And we step out and it's like, ah, I, I have a breath of fresh air. And I want to give you that picture because sometimes our defensive nature says, no, let's just try to get through this as quickly as possible. And God's saying, no, I want you to ultimately be free. I want you to experience that breath of freedom. Galatians chapter 5 verse 6 says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. He didn't set us free to be enslaved all over again to where we've been. He's saying, listen, it's for freedom. And some of you are experiencing that freedom. Like for the first time, it's that breath of fresh air. You're saying for the first time, you're going, yes, I can live out the life that God made me to live out. I can do it. Yes, I can do those things that I thought I never could do. I really can. Yes, I can set aside that habit that I thought would have a hold of me for the rest of my life. And some of you are realizing, I won't forget all the past. But I will be released from the pain of the past that's had a hold of me for far too long. It's the fresh air of freedom. That's what God is going to do right now in your life, not just someday when you get to heaven. So the first choice that we make is the reality choice. We understand the reality choice. The second choice we make is the hope choice. 
the hope choice, and here's the statement that's on your outline. If you're taking notes today, you'll want to follow along with this. It is the choice to earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to him, and that he has the power to help me to change. So we're going to read Matthew 5, 4. This is the verse I'd like you to memorize this week, but the second beatitude, the second attitude to be is found in Matthew 5, 4. Let's read this out loud together. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And what we're learning here is Jesus said this, we kind of scratch our head and go, wait a minute, what? Happy are those who mourn? Come on. What we're suddenly confronted with is that Jesus' path to comfort is radically different than my path to comfort. My path, there's two different paths. Jesus is saying, here's a path to comfort. And in, our, in ourselves, we say, no, no, I typically take another path to comfort. He says, blessed are those who mourn. He's saying that the path that I'm most often trying to avoid is actually the path to comfort, to real comfort. See, I don't want to mourn. I don't want to feel bad about my faults. The minute that I admit that they're there, though, that I have faults, that I'm broken, and I mourn that fact, that's where God begins to give us strength. See, I don't want to mourn the past and the hurts and the experiences that have happened to me, but the moment that I admit that those hurts are there and they're still controlling me, and that I don't want to have to deal with these, but I begin to mourn what those hurts are doing to me right now in addition to what they've done in the past, it's then that God like opens up his compassion and it's readily made available to us, and he gives me real comfort. See, I don't want to mourn the fact that a habit has gotten control of my life, and it just seems to control me forever, but the moment that I, that I admit that it's there, that I can't get rid of it, because if I could, I would have a long time ago, can't get rid of it, and I mourn what it's doing to me, it's there that God's power is unleashed to begin to change the condition of my life and give comfort. Frankly, though, I want to avoid the path to real comfort, right? I don't like to mourn. But the minute that I do that, the minute that I admit that I don't like that path, but there may be something in there that I need to really follow, I need to recognize, I need to take a closer look at, it's then that God begins to open my heart and my will and my mind to participate with what he wants to do because typically I want to avoid the path of mourning. I, I, I like the hope part. I like the better part. I like the comfort part, but I don't like the mourning part. And that's the part that God says, that's the path, two different paths, your path that you're trying versus my path to real comfort. We've got two different paths. And some of us, our path to real comfort uh, could be a substance. That basically you just say, I don't like how my day went. I don't like what's happened to me. So you might get home and you might take a drink. You might smoke a dime bag. You might, you know, take a prescription pill. You might do whatever. And in that moment, you're saying, I'm trying to experience some comfort. And, and that's my path to comfort, that something happens that makes me uncomfortable. So I'm going to reach for something that actually controls me. And that's what we would call a killer comfort. It's a killer comfort that this path that I'm taking actually harms me. It might harm my health. It might harm people around me. It might begin to control me. It might make me poorer, right? Because our path to comfort is something that we reach for. And sometimes it's a physical substance. For others, your path to comfort might be gambling. 
that you don't like how things have gone, you just want some adrenaline, some excitement in your life, you head up to Tahoe, you fly to Vegas, whatever, and you're there and you get all that adrenaline rush, but then as you're driving back down the hill, you realize it's temporary and I'm coming down off that high and I'm poorer and it doesn't last. I still feel empty. For other people, it's shopping, that I've got to buy something just to feel some excitement, right? I've just got to buy something. I deserve, when we begin to say, I deserve to buy something because I didn't like how my day went, so I want something that makes me at least feel empowered or feel better, and so we buy something. For other people, it might be sex. It might be pornography. It might be getting involved in what seems to be an exciting but illicit relationship. It might be just diving into sexual immorality or promiscuity, and, and you jump into those things, and you find out that that's an attempt to escape the realities of life, but it's empty. It's dehumanizing. It doesn't fill our soul. For some people, it's entertainment. You're just going to fill up all that empty time on the calendar with something to entertain you and just keep going, going, going because you don't want to face the realities of the condition of your life. And so you just can't have constant entertainment that entertains yourself. Uh, other people, it might be self-pity. You almost get addicted to it. And we all know how we've all been there. We've all been comfortable about life. And so we begin to feel like a victim. And we begin to feel like we were going to have a little pity party. And so typically this looks like we get home and we isolate and we push our friends away and we pull all the blinds down and it gets really dark. And it usually involves massive amounts of chocolate. I'm just saying, right? And we have this pity party. And we think to ourselves, listen, if I just... If I just isolate from people and I pull back and I, I get all by myself and I have this pity party, maybe God will see me suffering. He'll like look down on me and he'll see me suffering or beating myself up and he will have some pity at that moment on me. It doesn't really work. Because the only person who shows up at your pity party is you. It's the worst kind of party. So we reach. We reach for all these different comforts. Some people, it's just anger. You just vent, and that anger and that lecture that you're giving your son, your daughter, or somebody else, a person at work, that thing that you're doing, you really, it's not about them. It's not about their issue. It's not about how they're disrespecting or making you feel angry. It's all about the hurts, the habits, the hangups, but that, all that stuff inside here is coming out at them, and it doesn't satisfy. It doesn't make the hurt, the habit, the hang-up go away. For other people, it's food. We just comfort eat. And we all know that when you comfort eat, you don't get more comfortable. Ultimately, you don't. We get less comfortable. Other people, it's work. That you just constantly work, 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 work. And that message that you've heard that says, I'm somehow insignificant. You're just constantly striving. You're wearing yourself out. You're trying to get ahead. You're competing against who knows what, whatever message that is, to say, I am somehow significant. And so work becomes what you reach for to comfort yourself. We could go on and on. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the pen out of the chair in front of you. I want you to take your outline, and I want you to write down what your killer comfort is on your outline. Now, you might need to shield your paper from the person sitting next to you. You might need to write it in pig Latin or something else, you know. Have a little code word. Uh, you know, no snooping on everybody's paper. But I want you to write it down because part of the step for us is just admitting what our killer comforts are. What do you reach for? Because our killer comforts have a problem. And the problem is that they're temporary. Uh, the things I think will give me comfort only give a little temporary escape. And the things oftentimes will leave me addicted because i got to try and get more and more and more of whatever I was doing or reaching for or experiencing because of the law of diminishing returns. That 
in order to get the initial excitement or adrenaline or fix, we got to elevate it. We see it in sports. We see it in every area. That we've always got to do a little more because the law of diminishing returns. That the same amount of substance doesn't give you the same amount of experience that it once did because God has wired us that killer comforts don't ultimately satisfy. And so we've always, we're striving. We've got to do a little more, but we're experiencing the law of diminishing returns. So we feel poorer. We feel dehumanized. We feel unsatisfied. We feel maybe more shame. And we continue to feel, at the end of it, empty. Let me tell you a truth about life. And this goes right in the face of our culture. A comfortable life will not make you feel comforted. Some of the most rich, luxurious um, people who live on a whole different level than you and I can imagine, some of these people who have everything, who don't have to do anything but fulfill their needs, are some of the least satisfied people in the world. They have everything, and they have nothing, because everything they run to for comfort doesn't satisfy. Solomon in the Bible pursued four things. He pursued wine, he pursued women, he pursued wealth, and he pursued wisdom. And at the end, he says, all these things, I've got everything. But it's frustrating, because I have nothing. That a comfortable life won't make you or I feel comforted in our soul. Comfort in our soul is something that only God can give. And he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Sometimes the deepest happiness and the the value I experience come through experiences that I'd rather not have in my life. Tough circumstances that build character. Tough things in my life that make me understand just to the degree that God might love me. It's not just a matter of bad things happen. It's a matter of choosing to mourn when those bad things happen. It's not just enduring through the bad things. It's a matter of engaging with God that when this bad thing has happened that I might be comforted. And it's choosing to accept that those things have happened to realize that the world, everything I reach for, it cannot satisfy. It cannot ultimately give me hope that I need. And now i got to look to God for the comfort that I need, that only he can give. And we say, but God, I don't want to mourn. I do want to be comforted. I do like the better part, but more often than not, I need to admit that mourning is really the only path to comfort. Admitting what I don't have, admitting what I've lost, realizing that what I do have is God, and that he can give me comfort that lasts. So how does this happen? Blessed are those who mourn. How does it happen? I mean, sometimes we we expect in our lives to never have bad things happen, right? This year should be better than last year, which means next year should be better than this year, right? It's like we go through life thinking, well, maybe bad things will never happen. It's like we've never seen a movie, right? Every movie that's a good movie has something that looks pretty decent at the beginning. Then there's crisis, there's conflict, there's enemies, there's bad guys, there's horrible experiences, there's things that make you uncomfortable. And then all of a sudden there's this massive conflict. Then there's some, you know, climaxes and then goes down to resolution. And we leave the theater going, oh, that's great epic movie. Why? Because it's real life. But we get to ourselves and we think, I think that if God really loved me, some bad things wouldn't happen. Jesus said, listen, life is about hardship. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. 
So how does God give us comfort and hope? How does this actually happen? God's path to comfort and to hope begins with this. If you're taking notes today, you'll want to write this down. We have to see who God really is. We've got to see who God really is. A lot of times we have a picture in our mind of who God is that is not how he reveals himself to actually be. See, God wants to comfort me. But a lot of us walk into churches and we think God wants to condemn me. Some of you are waiting always in life if good stuff starts to happen for the other shoe to drop. Like, like I'm going to be found out by God and then you know, something bad is going to happen. And, you know, and you're just always waiting. You just are experiencing that, well, maybe God uh, condemns me. Some of you might be checking out church for the first time and you're just getting your you know, experience with this. And you walk in here and you're like, maybe these people all have it together, which we don't. We're all in the same ship. We're all broken, right? That you walk in here and you begin to think, maybe these people have something I don't. Maybe God's looking at me with condemnation. And, and that, you're feeling that when you walk in. But let me tell you something. Your feelings have been told a lie because that's not the God as he truly reveals himself. He reveals himself as a God who wants to comfort you. Some of you who, by the way, have gone to church maybe your whole life or for a long time, years and years and years, you're at the most danger right here because you know this. And yet, you walk in sometimes playing that performance game that says, if I did good during the week, God loves me more. But if I did bad during the week, God is going to condemn me. And you move away from authentic relationship with God and you're trapped. And you begin to listen to the lies of our evil, the evil one, our accuser, the devil, and we begin to shake hands with his message of condemnation instead of Jesus standing in heaven before God the Father saying, listen, I am praying on behalf of these people. Look at what I did. I paid for it all. Look at me. And he's saying, they are clean. They are justified just as if they never did it. They are clean. Look at my scars. I paid for them. And I am praying for them. And I'm strengthening them through our Holy Spirit. And that's what God is doing. We need to see him for how he really is. Uh, you know, and some of you are going to walk in here and you feel condemned, but I have to ask you something. Who are you going to trust? Are you going to trust God as he reveals himself? Or are you going to trust God as he speaks and what he says in his word? Or more importantly, are you going to trust how God demonstrated his love for us? Because the greatest event in all of history, God becoming flesh, that event, him living a perfect life, dying on a cross, taking your sin and mine upon himself, being buried in the grave, dead for three days, and rising to new life, that event, the greatest event in history, is a demonstration of God's love. It's him telling you that he is not out to condemn you. We have to take God at his word. We have to understand what he really did. If you have some scriptures on your outline, I want to run through those together as we look at how God reveals his love for us, that he's not out to condemn us. Romans 8.34 says, Who then will condemn us? Will Christ? No. For he is the one who died for us and came back to life again for us and is sitting at the place of highest honor next to God, pleading for us there in heaven. So I under, totally understand how some of us feel. But maybe it could be that my feelings don't match reality. See, when it comes to God being out to condemn you, your feelings have been told a lie. They just have. And so we have to take the knowledge we know in our head and our feelings are like the caboose. And, and we have to say, no, I choose. I choose to believe God as he reveals himself here in the word. So I choose. And what happens is my feelings catch up, but it might take some time. Our culture says do it the other way. I don't feel loved by God today. 
So the truth is he must not love me. And Jesus says, no, I demonstrated it. I spoke it. I demonstrated it in my own blood that let your head lead because your feelings have been told a lie. The good news is they'll catch up when you choose to believe me and my intention for relationship with you. So who are you going to trust, your feelings or what God has not only said about you but demonstrated to you? Psalm 86.15 says this, But you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. 2 Corinthians 1.3, God is the Father who is full of mercy and all comfort. And that's good news. Some of you may have grown up with a father who is full of judgment and, and always distancing himself from you. You could never be good enough. And I want to tell you, don't put that on God. That's a human love. That's a human fallenness. That's a human broken person. But the love of God comes out of purity and out of one who is completely righteous and fixed and whole. And it's out of that place that the good shepherd, our perfect heavenly father, loves us. So don't put that on God. That's the relationship he wants with you. Psalm 23, verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. doesn't sound like a shepherd with a rod and a staff is very comfortable. Some people don't misunderstand. Well, what's that for? The rod of the shepherd was to beat off wolves or other things that come to attack you. So he's a protector. He's gonna, that's his, his whooping stick, you know. He's going to beat those things off, and he's going to drive those things away. The staff was a shepherd's a crook, a hook on it, so, and that was the shepherd's guide of direction, that he could direct the sheep the right way to go, direct them to where there's satisfaction, direct them to where there's water and green grass and the things that really satisfy and that you really need. But sometimes we go walking off a cliff, it's not comforting to walk off a cliff. That's not comforting. You're not going to be comfortable walking off a cliff. But the shepherds, if you saw a sheep going near a cliff, he would begin to draw that sheep back and lead it where it ought to go. And you and I at times when we are reaching for our killer comforts and we're walking off a cliff, it is God's love and his care and his concern, the good shepherd who works with us and in his discipline, not for punishment, but for to correct our path, to direct our path, redirects us from where we were walking and leads us in a direction that's right. There's something comforting about that. There's a God who loves you and I enough to care when we're about to walk off a cliff. That's the kind of God who loves us. He is a God of hope. He comforts us. That's the kind of God that he is. Now, I know that many of you, as you're walking through life's healing choices, this series over the next number of weeks, are getting together in community groups and talking about it, and you're hearing other people's opinions, and you're going deeper. And I just want to say, I encourage that, because you've got to hear from other people, and you've got to challenge some of these things that you've been thinking, and sometimes other people can help identify some of the lies that we've believed about God or that we carry with us. I would encourage you, if you're not in a community group, you've got time to sign up for one of those today when you, uh, before you leave here. Uh, but before we get to a place of hope, we have to, first of all, see who God really is. Not who we think he is, but God as he reveals himself, the real God. The second thing we need to do, I have to see who I really am, that I'm broken. We looked at that last week. I'm a broken person. I don't have it all together. I don't even know where it all is, but that I'm broken. Luke 12, verse 2 says, There is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be made known. See, we fear exposure. I mean, we found out, right? But it, you can't hide it anyway. Jesus is saying, listen, it's all going to come to light. 
We think we're hiding it, but we're broken. We're all in the same boat. We're not going to be pointing fingers at each other. We're going to be pointing at the one who loves us while we were broken. Thank you, God, for forgiving all of us, right? But it just can't be that I'm broken. We just can't go around all the time like, I'm broken. It just sounds like we're a victim, right? I'm broken. I'm just always broken. I must be broken. No, it's I'm broken. And here's, here's the secret. Here's where the hope begins to come in. I'm broken, but I am loved. See, broken in our culture means you're broken, you're discarded, you might as well kill yourself. You're broken, you might as well discard yourself. You're broken, you might as well run to things because you can't fix yourself. We live in a disposable culture. We elevate celebrities and we slap them down. And we elevate ourselves and we get puffed up and then we get deflated. And we think that we're discardable. No, I'm broken, but listen to me, I am loved so I have to see who God really is, but I also need to see who I really am. And this is what he says. In Jeremiah 31, 3, he says, I love you with an everlasting love, so I will continue to show you my kindness. Oh, how many of you think God's love is temporary? He says this in Psalm 119, 76, May your unfailing love be my comfort. God's love, is a, it's a pure gift to us. Romans 3, 24, God in his gracious kindness declares us not guilty. He has done this through Christ Jesus who has freed us by taking away our sins. Well, that's a gift that God would take away our sins. It's the gift of having a relationship all of a sudden with God. It's the gift of forgiveness, the gift of becoming a new creation, of, of having a new life in the condition that I am right now, and a new eternity when I die. Matthew 5, verse 4, Jesus again, he said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And the truth is, I often have to experience worse before things get better. Like, for example, you want a relationship with somebody to get better, right? But you've got to have a difficult conversation first. Well, that makes you feel worse. You don't want to have that difficult conversation. You don't like that. But you've got to feel worse in order to feel better. Uh, maybe you're at your job and you want to get better at your job, but your boss comes to you and, and they have to have a difficult conversation with you. And I don't like hearing that. You don't like hearing that. No one likes to hear how we should do things better, but we've got to feel worse before we get better. I, I want to deepen my relationship with God, but I've got to admit where I'm trusting myself and trying to do it my own way. I, I've got to mourn that fact. I've got to admit that I'm trying to be God. So I've got to feel worse in order to feel better. I don't like to feel worse. I like the better part, I like the good part, I like the help fix me up part, I like the comforted part. But I gotta grieve losing my killer comforts. I've gotta feel weak in order to receive God's power. Some of us feel like that just can't happen. Like, who am I kidding? You know, like, I'm really going to change. I've tried it a million times. I've disappointed people. I just, I don't know if that's even a reality. Well, first of all, we have to see who God is. Second of all, we need to see who we are to feel that. But the third thing is I've got to see how God can change me. I've got to see how God can change me. 
Whenever you and I get discouraged about changing our life, we're just, we're just trying to be honest. We're like, listen, I've tried. I've disappointed so many people so many times. I've let myself down so many times. I just go back to the way that I am, we say. And all these statements come out, and we begin to say, why should I even try, Dave? I mean, honestly, is hope a reality? Because I don't even know if I should try, because I've tried a million times. But listen to me. If you don't hear anything else today, hear this. This idea that you and I have, that you've got to change your life, it just wears you out. You can't change your life. If you did, you would have changed it a long time ago, right? So where do I find change? If I can't change me, where do I find authentic change? Isaiah chapter 40 tells us in verse 28. Isaiah says this, Have you never heard or understood? Do you not know that the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth? He never grows faint or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. You think God understands you? No one can measure the depth of his understanding. It's deeper than you understand you. He gives power to those who are tired and worn out. He offers strength to the weak. Even youths will become exhausted and young men will give up. But those who wait on the Lord will find new strength. They will fly high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. See, it's not all up to you. It's not. It's admitting I cannot. So it's got to be up to God. See, you got to realize this. You got to realize that God's power to change is God's power to change. Right? It's not our power. We're like, God, I'll do it. I'll perform. I'll strive. And he's going to time out. God's power to change is God's power. It's not yours. But he's a gentleman, and we have to be willing to participate with what he's doing. It is not me striving. It's God changing me through his power. It's hoping in him. See, God has designed your soul to catch like the updraft of his love. So as we realize who God is and we realize that I'm broken but I'm loved and that God's power could be available to me to lift me up, guess what happens to my soul? My soul was designed to be like, take me up. Let me get on the updraft of that. Let me soar on wings like eagles because it's no longer, like, I didn't believe what God could do in me, but could, I'm just shocked. My soul responds to the updraft of God's love, of his strength, and of his power. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who is at work within you, giving you the will and giving you the power to achieve his purpose. Some of you are you know, just like, he's saying, God will give you the desire. You're going, I don't have the desire. I don't have the desire to change. I feel stuck. Okay, well, you're saying I should feel the desire, but I, I, honestly, I just don't. Then pray, God, give me the will. Give me, God, the will to change. Give me the desire to change. He's willing to give you the will. See, your own willpower hasn't done it. Say, God, I'm just being real about where I am, but please just give me the will to change. He's like, all right, I'll begin to do that. Some of us are, God, we always pray, God, help me. I'm going to change your prayer life right here, okay? So listen up. They're like, God, help me. Just help me, you know, quit this habit. God, help me get over this hurt. God, help me, you know, to get beyond this hang-up. And God's going, I am. And you say, God, help me. I am. God, help me, help me, help me. I am, I am, I am. And, and we just go, God, help me, help me, help me. And we just stay, we stay stuck. Instead, we got to say, God, I choose. So replace the words in your prayer. God, help me with God. I choose. God, I choose that by your power, you'll give me the will. 
to change. God, I choose to respond to the help that you're going to give. God, I don't feel like it. I choose to let you help me feel like it. God, I, I don't believe that change could happen. Help my unbelief. And God goes, I will. So you say, now I choose to believe. I don't feel like it. Here's a caboose of my feelings. But God, I choose to believe. And guess what my feelings do? They're going to catch up over time. Because we begin to participate with God. Because it's his power at work in us, giving us the will and the power to achieve his purpose. So really, Father, instead of trying to hope, we're just going to ask you, God, to give us the will to choose to respond to your hope. Maybe right now you're realizing that you've never taken that first step, though. You've never asked Jesus into your heart. You could have all this idea. You might understand what God says about himself. You might understand what you say about you. Uh, and you might want God's power in your life. But until you've received God's Holy Spirit and asked Jesus to have relationship in your life with him, you have no power to change. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, will you just take a minute and think about your life? God, as we come before you, I just know that in this room right now, there's people who maybe have come to church a long time. There may be people who are just checking it out, but there are people today who their soul is saying, I've got to mourn the condition of where I am so that I can experience comfort. And God, I just pray that some would say yes to you today. And if that's you, if you realize you don't have relationship with God, you've never surrendered your life, you've never done the altar call thing that Adriana talked about, and today is the day that you want to say yes to Jesus, you pray to him right where you're seated. He will hear you. You just pray silently in your chair. You might want to repeat this after me. Jesus, I admit that you died on the cross for my sin and that you rose from the grave and that you will forgive me. I believe in you and that power can be found through you I ask you to come into my heart and have relationship with me God make me a new creation give me a new life I mourn the condition of where I've been and where I am and so today God I say yes to you if you just prayed that and you meant it would you just slip up your hand just hold your hand high if you meant that anywhere around the room we've got some ushers I'd like to give you right over here on the, on the end there uh, uh, just keep your hand up if you raised your hand because we got some information that we want to be able to give uh, to you and uh, you can just hold your hand up in fact if you got your hand up you can look at me and I'll make sure that somebody finds you too that's awesome right here in the middle do you want to, do you want to keep your hand up over there on the end alright anywhere around the room just lift your hand if no one's gotten to you with information just wave it one of these guys running around and they'll be sure to get some information to you Christians in the room, will you choose today? Not help me, God, but choose. God, I choose to believe that you can, your power could work in me because of my hurts and my habits and my hang-ups, that you could actually make change happen to me. Would you choose to believe that? Would you stop believing the idea that you're totally stuck? Christians, that's your application right now. You tell him, and you counter the lies that you tell your feelings. God, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your great love, for that you are everlasting and perfect. God, we're going to remember you as we go to a time of communion, that you just gave it all up for us, and we love you for that. And we respond to you because of that, and we lay aside condemnation, and we walk into relationship as we remember your sacrifice.
In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.